now we're in the book of Leviticus. And I hope, I mean, last week, you know, we talked about all the offerings and it seems very dry in some respects. And this week it might seem kind of the same, but I'm, I'm hoping that as we walk through it, we, we begin to see the, not just the practicality, but the excitement of what this really sets up. Because all of this ultimately points to Jesus. We're going to see that a lot clearer as we walk into Hebrews together, but walking through it initially through Leviticus is really, really a neat thing together. So those of you who have been on the schedule, have been reading, we were reading Leviticus chapters 8 through 11. How many of you read that this week? Raise your hand. Sweet. That's awesome. Love to see as many of you who can to do that. We try not to read too much, you know, to keep you guys up to date on those things. This This section of scripture is about the transference, the ordination of Aaron and his sons as high priests and priests for Most High God and to begin the actual ministry of what the tabernacle was supposed to be. It's just God with the people. And so what we got to read this week, by and large, those first three chapters, 8, 9, and 10, are really kind of all about that. And then chapter 11 starts us getting into the food regulations and the things that set the people apart of Israel from everybody else just by their daily actions. And we'll talk probably a little bit more about that next week. So the sermon that the sermon title today is called A Shocking Turn of Events. I love what happened today. I love the baptism that we had with Cheyenne. That was awesome, by the way. You guys think that was awesome? I love the new members who have come to be a part of this congregation. Don't you guys think that was awesome? I love seeing the new faces we've been seeing here at church. And so thank you guys, those of you who are new and coming and being a part of our congregation for this week or in weeks past. Thank you for being a part of all that. We have some exciting things that are happening right now. Would you guys agree? Those of you who have been here for a while, are we seeing some really cool stuff happening right now? God is moving in our midst. I love that. But there's a danger that comes with that. There really is. And really what we're reading today, what we look at today as we look at the book of Leviticus mirrors a lot of what we've been seeing right here in our congregation. There's a warning that is for you and I as believers in Christ who are wanting so much to do God's will and starting to see God move among his people. So let's go into the text first, find out what happened to them. And see the connections that we see, not just with us today, but all throughout the Word of God. That could be a warning for us that we might not befall the same things that we see. We're going to be a little bit in all three of those first chapters today. Leviticus chapter 8. We're going to read the first 13 verses. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with them, and the garments, and the anointing oil, and the bull of sin offering, and the two rams, and the basket of unleavened bread, and assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded to be done. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons, and washed them with water. 
and he put the coat on them and tied the sash around his waist and clothed him with the robe and put the ephod on him and tied the skillfully woven band of the ephod around him, binding it to him with the band. And he placed the breastplate on him. And in the breastplate, he put the Urim and Thummim. And he set the turban on his head and on the turban in front, he set the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. And he sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times and anointed the altar and all its utensils and the basin and its stand to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. And Moses brought Aaron's sons and clothed them with coats and tied sashes around their waist and bound caps on them as the Lord commanded Moses. So the first thing that we're seeing is that we've gone through all the offerings that God has said that you're going to prescribe Aaron and his sons, the priests, to do. And now Moses is getting Aaron and his sons ready for ministry. We've read all the way through the end of Exodus 40. We've read through these first chapters of Leviticus. Everything that's been done so far has been done by Moses. Now he's handing this that God is preparing Aaron and his sons for. He's handing that off to them. So there's this ceremony of of dressing them and getting them ready and anointing them with oil and anointing all that they're going to be using with oil and preparing them for the works that God has prepared them to do. It's kind of an exciting thing. It really is to be right there on the precipice of stepping into that sure you guys can think of that. And if you ever got a promotion to something totally different in your job, raise your hand. I have. It's exciting. A little nerve-wracking. Haven't done this before. Somebody's preparing me to walk into this, and then there comes a day where they're like, okay, you can do this by yourself. This is what they're preparing Aaron and his sons to do, because up to this point, the only one who has done it is Moses. That's it. Kind of an exciting thing, right? It's a weight of responsibility. And yet at the same time, concerning this weight, there comes a point, and I mentioned this during the videos this last week, there comes a point of no return where we've made the commitment, we've stepped in it, now it's, now it's on us. Now they've taken the training wheels off, you're going to go there, it's the first day, and you're going to do this. There's kind of a weight of responsibility. That kind of happens at the end of this chapter. They offer the sin offering. They offer the burnt offering. They offer the uh, offering for the anointing. And then this charge comes to them at the end of chapter 8. It says this. Starting in verse 33, it says, And you shall not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days. Until the days of your ordination are completed, for it will take seven days to ordain you, as has been done today, the Lord has commanded to be done to make atonement for you. At the entrance of the tent of meeting, you shall remain day and night for seven days, performing what the Lord has charged, so that you do not die. For so I have been commanded, and Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord commanded by Moses." 
So all of the ceremony has taken place, and now the weight of responsibility is placed upon them, saying, you need to finish this ordination process. You're going to be seven days in the tent of meeting. And how do you know that it's the point of no return? Because you need to stay here the whole time, otherwise you're going to die. That's what it says. I'm just reading. I'm like, how do you know it's the point of no return? Because if you turn back now, that's what happens to you. That, that's a pretty weighty responsibility. It lets you know that this wasn't just a title to be, to be wanted and craved after to have that had no responsibility. There's an immense amount of responsibility that comes with the prospect of leading the people as high priests and priests of the Lord. This that was going to be passed down from Moses, who's the only one who's done it right now, to those whom God has prescribed to do it, the first high priest and the first priest ever, those of Aaron's family. They're going to step into this role, and God says to let you know how serious it is now that you have started this process. It's too late to turn back. You need to stay here for seven days lest you die. I am sure that in the back of their minds, there's at least a part of them. And if you've ever been in an overwhelming situation before with your job or some other situation, you might have asked yourself, what have I gotten myself into? They might be asking the same thing right now. They've seen the miracles of Moses. Remember, we can't take this away from the context of they've seen the miracles that God has provided through Moses, walking through the Dead Sea, all of the miracles that were down in Egypt, everything that has happened that has led them to this point. They know God is with them. It's an exciting prospect. But then when it turns serious, we begin to ask ourselves, what have we gotten ourselves into? Right? We feel that weight of responsibility. Same with them. The good news is it doesn't end right there. It keeps going in a good way. So many times in the Old Testament, you're just like, is it going to go in a good way? It usually goes bad. Leviticus chapter 9, starting in verse 1 through 4, it says this, And on the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, and he said to Aaron, Take for yourself a bull, calf for a sin offering, and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. And say to the people of Israel, Take a male goat for a sin offering, and a calf and lamb, both a year old without blemish for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil, for today the Lord will appear to you. Now that's exciting. So they've been consecrated for the last seven days. They didn't leave because of the weight of responsibility because if we leave, we're going to die. That's the, we're past the point of no return. And now Moses gives them their first sacrifices that they are to perform. But it comes with a promise. For today the Lord will appear to you. Man, wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that make it all that worth it in the end that God is going to appear to you? Yes! Yes, okay, okay. The death sentence is over. I've made it through that. Now I am ready. I'd be excited to offer all of this. Wouldn't you guys? I get to meet with God today by doing this. I can't wait. 
I wish she could have been upstairs with uh, me and Cheyenne. She was so excited. She was so excited to, to walk into the waters of baptism. It was awesome to hear, just talking back and forth. And if you've ever had that privilege in talking with people who've been baptized, there's always this, this air of excitement. I can't wait. I can't wait. What do I need to do? I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I can't wait. I can't help but believe Aaron and his sons. The Lord's going to appear to me. He's going to appear to us. What do we do? What do we do? I can't, I can't wait. I can't wait. Get these offerings together. You're going to do these offerings. I can't wait. This is going to be awesome. So we go to the end of the chapter. Verse 22. It says, And Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from the offering, from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Just another manifestation of showing that God is truly with us. Would that not be exciting? Is that not awesome to be able to see? So they do everything that God has asked them to do. The sin offering, the burnt offering, the peace offering, exactly as God has said. And now God meets with them and shows the glory of himself to Aaron, to the priests, and to all the people. And they shouted for glory. Man, have you ever been places where it's just so evident that the Spirit of God is there and it's so exciting to be there? Have you gone to a concert or a conference or a place where you have this time set aside. I know we have in the past gone up to camp. And camp has always been a huge part of this church's background. But camp is a place where we would go away and set aside our time for a week. Where we're focused nothing on but what God wants for us. And we would come back and I can tell you, everybody's energized. Everybody's like, man, we saw God move during that time. We saw so many people. Make some sort of profession of faith, whether recommitting their lives to God or making a commitment to Christ for the first time. And you just come back and you're like totally pumped. For a week, we got to do what God wanted us to do. It's almost like the whole Aaron and his sons thing, right? Because nobody's going to die if they left the mountain. I'm just letting you guys know that right now. But it's that whole setting aside time to seek after God. I mean, James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then when that actually happens, to see the excitement of that among the people of God, no matter what age that they are, it never gets old. When we went to the men's conference a few years back and there's all these people praising God and you hear the messages of God and you walk away and you're just like, man, I love being around these men who are on fire for Jesus. How many of you men been to men's conference? Am I telling the truth? It's awesome. You just get on fire for stuff like that. Oh, man, I wish we could stay on the mountain forever. Don't you guys? Someday that'll, that'll be a reality. Someday we'll get to be with Jesus and there'll be no separation from us and him forever and ever. And of course, he's with us forever now, right? If we know Jesus Christ. He says, I'm always with you, but it's going to be different. In heaven, we're going to be with him. 
that manifestation of Christ and of God and the dwelling place of God to be with people. It's going to be different than what it is. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. We're not there yet. So we get these, these little morsels during these times. And then we have to come off the mountain. Or in Aaron and his son's case, they have to actually deal with people. And it's great when it's just us and God and and we come back and we come back to a sin-soaked world and so quickly that glory seems to fade, doesn't it? Not just from our experience and the, and the, the spiritual high that we are, but even in the tainting of the things that are around us that tempt us to walk away from our Lord and Savior. Because that's where this account takes a dark turn. You would think... You would think that after seeing the glory of God by doing the things that God has prescribed, by warning Aaron and his sons that stepping out of this ordination too soon could lead to death, you would think that the weight of responsibility would not be lost on those who had, walk, had to walk through such strict standards. And you'd be wrong. Because we look at the beginning of chapter 10. And something changes. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it. And laid incense on it and and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And the fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. And then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphon, the sons of Uzal, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and to Ithamar, his sons, do not let the hair of your heads hang loose. Do not tear your clothes, lest you die and the wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. And the Lord spoke to Aaron saying, drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are distinguished between the holy and the common and between the clean and the unclean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. This doesn't say a whole lot of time has passed. I I don't know how much time may have passed between chapter 9 when they were commissioned by God to begin to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. And this incident takes place. It doesn't say. Couldn't have been too long because they wrote about it really quickly. And we see two of Aaron's sons 
bring on unauthorized fire before the altar. What does that mean? Well, they were supposed to grab fire that was already kindled. And they must have grabbed it from a different place. That was what was prescribed by the word of God, by the law of the Lord. They thought that any fire would do. For whatever reason. Maybe they didn't think it was that big of a deal. Obviously God did. And God in front of the people had fire break out and killed two of the priests that he had just commissioned to be priest. That's kind of a shocking thing to see for the people of Israel. And, and this is the stark warning for you and I as believers in Christ. Because after so coming through such trials or such a spiritual hire, seeing the glory of the Lord worked out in our lives, how many of you and I, in those moments of euphoria, kind of lose our minds, let down our guard, and sin enters right back into our life? That's what happened with them. They had done everything that God had prescribed for them to do and the glory of the Lord had shown up. But they're in a position of authority. They're in a position where they are uh, accountable to the people of God concerning the sacrifices that they are making. They are supposed to be separate and holy and different. And being so close to God and seeing all these amazing things of God, we can sometimes then get full of ourselves and think anything we do is like got the Midas touch, right? It just turns to gold. And we forget the God whom we're supposed to be serving. See, I see amazing things that God is doing in our congregation. I see amazing things that God is doing in our lives. And I'm just going to be honest with you. It's sometimes through that the overcoming of a great struggle or a great amazing outpouring of God. That is when it is the hardest for me to stay faithful. Because God's been so good. I just take my eyes off of Jesus just like that. How many scandals have we seen from mega pastors? You think that's what they wanted? I guarantee you it's not. Men who are serving God and wanting to serve God and wanting to glorify Jesus Christ. And what do we see? We see the scandal that comes up. And you know why? Because just for a moment in the midst of God being so good, saving so many souls, redeeming so many people, that discipling up others that might be coming into maturity, being in the presence of God, all of a sudden it becomes about their name and what they can do. And man, God has been so good. And, and just that, that little shift and their eyes are off of Jesus, and the next thing you know, they're making decisions that, in the blink of an eye, can shatter a ministry. I feel it. I feel it. We have new members today. Love that. Want to see this place filled, don't you? With people who need to know Jesus, who come to be a part of our fellowship, who make the body of Christ stronger. I want to see that, but I want it for His glory, not mine. I love seeing baptisms of changed lives for people, but you know what I love more? is the changed life. 
God doesn't want baptism for theatrics. God wants baptism as a symbol of a changed life, being buried with him in baptism, being raised to walk in newness of life. If we lose sight of those things and we start to make it about ourselves and we start to make it about ourselves, we become careless about the things of God and we start treating the holy things as common. And we start treating the holy things as common, then we run into really big problems. Individually, as a congregation, It's what happened to the priests that had just seen the glory of God. And it's not just there. This is a testimony that finds itself all throughout Scripture. How many of you know the story of King David? There's four people who know the story of King David in this place. There better be more hands being raised up. Because I know y'all have been through the Bible with me once, okay? So the story of King David comes around. King David, from the time that he's anointed, has all types of problems, especially during Saul's reign. But the dependency that David has on God is amazing. All throughout that time. As his kingdom begins to get established in 2 Samuel, the beginning portion of 2 Samuel, we see that God it continues to show favor upon David. David is a man after God's own heart. 73 of the Psalms that we have in our Bible are attributed to David. The man loved God. Make no doubt about it. 2 Samuel chapter 7, something changes though. Just reading the first two verses, it says, Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. Talking about the tabernacle that we're talking about right here. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that's in your heart, for the Lord is with you. And through this, David begins the plans for building the temple. And God would reveal to him, No, you're not going to build it, your son's going to build it. But did you notice what happened in verse 1? Now when the king lived in the house and the Lord had given him rest from his surrounding enemies. David and his kingship up until this point has been surrounded by his enemies, devoted and thinking about God as his sustenance, his sustainer, the one who establishes his kingdom, all of that up until this point. And now he has rest from his enemies. And for a small period of time, we see that he goes out and he has more victories as they have some skirmish battles and he tries to show favor to uh, his best friend who died, Jonathan, to his son Mephibosheth. But then, because things are good, something happened that would change the course of the rest of his kingship. Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, it says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. 
He stopped doing the things that kings were supposed to be doing because things were good. God had established his kingdom. He had promised him that his son was going to build the temple. He had had these skirmish battles as we have read uh, that we would read in those previous chapters between 7 and 11 where kings went out to war and he would have victory over those places. But when he stayed home, he became tempted with Bathsheba, committed adultery and later murder and changed the entire course of his kingship as a result of it. Where he had had peace, God said, there's only going to be conflict now. Changed everything. Even a man after God's own heart, like David. Success. Being close to God. The privileges that come with it also come with the great temptation of taking our eyes off Jesus and doing those things we never thought we would. Just a blink of an eye. That's all it takes. Forgetting just one day to take that extra precaution, that extra thing so we would remain faithful to God. And next thing you know, boom. We've stumbled again. It's not just an Old Testament principle, by the way. If you guys think that it is, uh, all you have to do is look at Peter. And Peter gets picked on a lot, but Peter being the most faithful, in my opinion, the closest one to Jesus of all the disciples, he gets a bad rap because he was so close. Because no more is known about him because of his closeness to Jesus. And so, in Matthew chapter 16, the question is asked of Jesus, who do people say that I am? And, you know, they say, oh, you know, they think you're Elijah or one of the prophets or, you know, all these other people. But who do you say that I am? And Peter stands up and says, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And he praises him immediately. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. You know why? Because Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. And I tell you this, you are Peter, you are a rock. And upon this rock I shall build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Man, what a great thing, right? That's a, that's a great moment, right? Wouldn't it, Jesus just praised me. Would you be, I'd be like, yes, yes, Jesus, yes, that's where I want to be. I want to be right there. I kid you not. He says all of this. And that section ends in verse 20. This is verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You see how easy it is to go from this, yes, Jesus loves what I'm doing. This is fantastic. I just got praise from Jesus. This is awesome. 
Jesus goes on to say, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and die. No, Lord, this will never happen to you. He's already praised me once. I think the last thing that, that Peter thought would come out of Jesus' mouth is, get behind me, Satan. I'm pretty sure that's the last thing. He probably thought he had this authority right then and there to be able to say, look, I, I have one good answer. Here's a second good answer. How many of you being say, come on, come on. Like, I, I'm doing so good. And therein comes the folly. Does he know who he's rebuking? That, that, that passage of scripture always gets to me. This is Jesus, his Lord and Savior. Peter is rebuking him. Think about that for just a moment. I've heard people use the phrase, I rebuke this in the name of Jesus. Peter is rebuking Jesus. I have no idea in what name. You guys, get, you guys understand how quickly it goes from being so good to so bad, just like that. And why? And Jesus said it right then and there, because you're not looking at the things of God, you're looking at the things of man. It's what happens. When things get so good, it's so easy for you and I to take our eyes off of the things of God. Oh, I wish it weren't so. Acts chapter 5 gives us another account of the early church. Now you have to understand, up until this point, God has been pouring out His Spirit. The early church has happened. Chapter 2, we see the disciples and the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples and then preaching to the crowd and 3,000 come to the Lord. We see Peter and John preaching again, healing a man. And afterwards, having an opportunity to share, and it says that the numbers grew to 5,000 people. We have, five, we have gone from 120 people, which would be us, to a super mega church. 5,000 people. That quick. They've come together and they've decided they're going to help out those within the body of Christ with the needs among the people. And so people were selling stuff. We have a man who's known as Barnabas who comes and lays at the feet of the disciples the things that he sold. And then we have the account of Ananias and Sapphira. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. But, the, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and bought only brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? Why have you lied to man but to God? When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold this land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. 
Immediately she fell down at the feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her dead and carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all those who heard these things. That very much mirrors what we've been reading in Leviticus, wouldn't you guys say? A great fear came upon the Lord. You know, God is here. God is among us. Look at what all God is doing. And then there are two people from among them who decide, you know what? We want to look good in front of everybody else. So we're going to sell some land and we're going to give. We don't even know. They might have given 70% of the proceeds. We have no idea. But they wanted to keep some of it back but still look super holy in front of everybody else. See, the, the sin there, just so you guys are aware, through the questioning that Peter talked about, isn't the fact that they didn't bring the whole of what was theirs. It's that they said that that was all of it. It was a lie. Because God wants a truthful people. And so the judgment comes because of the lie, not because they held some of it back. It was theirs. That's what Peter said. This was yours. This was your land before you sold it. And even afterwards, that was your proceeds. You could do with it what you want. Why are you trying to lie to the Holy Spirit? That was a lie for what? To look good. To look holy, to look righteous. And yet by doing so, they were treating the holy things of God as common. Just like everybody else would do. That's not what we're called to do as believers in Christ. You and I are called to walk circumspectly with God. And guess what? We mess up. I mess up. And I'm just telling you right now, this that we read this week resonates with me because I feel it. Every single time something great happens, the temptation of doing things that my Lord hates really comes upon me. Get past busy seasons, busy seasons like Easter and Christmas where you put all of your all in it and you see God do so many good things and afterwards you're exhausted. You just let down your guard. And there's all types of manner of things that we'll let into our lives when we let down our guard. And there's all types of judgments that come as a a part of that. Not judgment unto death for those who love him, but definitely consequences that can affect our lives like David's did. Man after God's own heart. And yet the rest of his kingdom would be filled with fighting and infighting and fighting with his own children because of the deeds that he did. Was he still saved? Did he still know God? Yeah, absolutely. But the consequences were heavy. For you and me as believers in Christ, God's not to be treated as a fool. You and I need to know that he takes seriously his name and his holiness. And he wants us as believers who are carrying his name to treat those things as holy and not common. Because they have great consequences on our lives if we don't. We mentioned it last week, but I want to focus the last part of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. just going to read 11 through 13 because there's a warning that we might have glossed over a couple weeks ago when we read the entirety of that passage because we focused a lot on you know what had happened but 11 through 13 it says now these things happened to them as an example talking about the old testament examples mentioned above 
But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Anybody who thinks they're safe. Anybody who thinks God has blessed me. I have seen the glory of God and God has done amazing things. See, this immediately precedes that no temptation has overcome you except that which is common to man. That you and I need to take heed about where we stand lest we fall. I want to see continued great things happening that God is doing, don't you? But realize for you, for me, individually and corporately, it can be gone just like that. When we treat the holy things as God, of God as common, we treat it like the rest of the world does. We treat it in such a way that's not worthy of God. When we think that it's all about us and the good standing that God has, has done in our lives, rather than realizing we didn't deserve it in the first place, it's all of His grace. If I don't stand in that grace and start taking credit for it myself, then guess what happens? Bad things. Pretty quick, too. I start taking license in areas that I shouldn't take license in. I start doing things and thinking it's okay for me to do because God is still blessing. You see what a dangerous prospect that becomes for you and for me. So these sobering words need to be preached to us, especially in good times. Especially when we have baptisms and we have new members coming in our place. You know why? These are great things and I don't want it to stop. So I want to make sure I don't get in the way. And I'm doing the things that God is wanting me to do. But that means you need to be making sure that you are doing the things that God is wanting you to do too. That we can rejoice, but we're rejoicing in Him. Whether baptisms or new members, whatever else God has given us the opportunity to be a part of. To be a part of somebody else's life change in Christ. It's His glory, it's not ours. It's His doing, it's not ours. And I'm not saying that in such a way to try and say, you know, He gets all the good stuff and I only get all the bad stuff. No, I, He glories in us walking in that with Him. But when we take our eyes off of Him being that glory, we do make it about us. We get it back on the things of man and therefore we get the rebuke of Jesus. We get the consequences of taking our eyes off and doing something we never thought we would do. And all of a sudden it just shatters us. And we have to walk humbly back into repentance. And here's the good news for those of you who have been shattered because of those eyes being taken off of Jesus. He's got that grace for you. You can come back into that right relationship by taking that eye off of you, by repenting of that sin, of turning away from those things so that there can be a restoration that is there. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. says simply this, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Man, I wish sin didn't cling so closely, don't you? Don't you wish it were easy to walk with Jesus and say, I want to be this close all the time? And I do. Therefore, we got to take heed lest we fall. Always guarding our hearts. Always making sure that we're wanting to do the things of Christ. And you know what? God will bless us. We'll see his glory in much the same way that the people of Israel got to see the glory of God. In much the same way that you've experienced the glory of God when you see the transformation and change in other people. Or you've gone to those conferences or you've been in those places where you've seen God do a, a miraculous work. I want to see more of that. Don't you? So we need to take heed. Lest we fall. Because that sin so easily entangles us. But what I love in Hebrews chapter 12 when it talks about that sin easily entangling us. It says we need to run that race set before us. And verse 2 begins this way. It says looking to Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith. You want to make sure that what we're seeing today doesn't go away. You and I need to keep looking for Jesus. And when we stumble, we repent, we stand up, we come back. We know the grace is there. Not because we want to abuse that grace, but because we want to see God continue to do great things individually and corporately within our body. I want more days like today, don't you? That happens when we take heed, lest we fall. Do you stand with me? I'm going to ask our elders to come on forward and just be here for you. If you need to pray for anything, for healing, if you need to be, if you need to pray to say, "Hey, I've, I've taken my eyes off, and I, I need to get my eyes back right on Jesus," because I don't want that momentary lapse of reason to take me to a place that's going to cause consequences in my life because I haven't regarded Christ as holy. If that's you, you come. There's no shame in that. There really isn't. We're all going to need to be doing that because I want to see a lot of great things happening and I believe God is blessing. I really do. I just don't want to be a hindrance. Let's pray together and then let's celebrate the good things that God is doing. God, thank you so much for this time that we have together, dear Heavenly Father. I pray in the name of Jesus for all of us here. We have seen some great things happening corporately, baptisms and people coming into fellowship and partnering with us, and thank you for that, God. I thank you for those who have been growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ by by us going through your word and walking through that for five years and now we have a knowledge that we didn't have before. I thank you for the deepening of relationships that we've had in this place, dear Heavenly Father. And God, I do not want to be somebody who stumbles over success because it's not my success, it's yours. But God, you've called me in this place. You've called us who are believers in Christ in this body to be faithful to you that your glory might be revealed. We want you glorified in this place. Help us in our personal lives to treat you as holy and not common. 
Help us, dear Heavenly Father, to do that which is right, even when it's hard. Help us to remember that we're not standing for It's easy for us to take our feet off the solid rock of Christ and stand on the shifting sands of this world. So God, help us to take heed so that we don't fall. And God, most importantly, help us to see through our obedience, your glory. Both individually in our families and in this place and community. That Christ would be glorified above all things. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.